We started our celebration reading uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. The priest was back there. And uh, Luke, chapter 19, just goes back to a prophecy, and the prophecy of uh, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. It's Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, where he says, Your king is coming to you humble on a young donkey. So that symbol, the symbol of this cult, this tethered cult, is just a symbol for what Jesus is doing as a humble, the humble son of God who is going to sacrifice himself. Then we read the first reading, Isaiah chapter 50. And we read, I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pluck my beard. God is my help. I have set my face like flint. Then, Psalm chapter 79, we sung that. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? No, this prayer, this psalm is a prayer that you can really use. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's not blasphemy, it's the word of God. It's Jesus saying that. So when you will find yourself on the cross, on your cross, in the time of desperation, why don't you use it? Why don't you use those words? And you say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You will find some rest in those words. Second reading, uh, we read these words. Christ became obedient to the point of death, even death of cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So why Jesus has a name that is above every name? Because he was obedient. Obedience made the name of Jesus so powerful that we, at every prayer, we always invoke the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I bless you. I anoint you. I forgive you. It's because of that, the powerful of that name. And then we read the Passion of Jesus. This year, year C, is the Gospel of Luke. So we read practically almost two chapters, from 22 to 23. And we read about the horrible reality of the cross. The cross is not something pleasant as we know even though you know nowadays you may even buy a cross buy a crucifix you may even show to your friend to say look what a beautiful crucifix crucifix i have here in my bedroom not so did the christians at the beginning of the church they, in, the, in the first centuries, they rejected the cross. They were so scared of such a sign of fear. 
In fact, you, you, you felt, right? You know, while we were reading the Passion of Christ, there was some kind of fear coming out of those words. We felt the fear of Jesus and of the apostles who escaped, you know. So cross was not used at the beginning of the church. They used other things. They used uh, as a symbol, you know, for Christians, they used the fish, you know, because you know that in Greek, fish is, fish is ictus, which means Jesus Christos, Teu Uyos Soter, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. They used Alpha and Omega. They used the key Rho, the two Greek letters, key and Rho. Sometimes you may find in church as a symbol, you know, many things in church, you, you still have the key Rho, which is Christos. And then uh, the Good Shepherd, of course. They used the pelican, you know. That bird that, you know, is believed uh, to be so affectionate and to care so much for, for his young that when they, they are hungry, uh, the pelican is also able to hit his breast in order to give his blood and meat, you know. To the children. And then the anchor, because the anchor is a sign of safety, was used also. And then the peacock, because you know it's a sign of immortality, you know, peacock. You see how many signs, but not the cross. The cross came, came later. Why? Because still today, you know, you, you may look at the cross of Jesus and, and feel okay, but when you look at your own cross, then you know what a cross means. Then we started, you know, this reading of uh, the, the Passion of Jesus with the Last Supper, and you heard these words that only Luke reports, which are, do this in memory of me. It's Jesus <coughs> wanting continuity. Continuity to what? I made, this is what Jesus said, what Jesus is saying to us, I made myself bread. And I want you to do the same. I want you to be the memory of me. I want you to receive that bread. So we say that we come here and we will do that, you know, in a moment. So you come here and you receive the body of Jesus. But you, you could also look at that from another perspective. It's not really us who receive the body of Jesus. Because Jesus is something bigger than myself. So it's not me receiving the body of Jesus. It's actually me entering in the body of Jesus. Where we know that the body of Jesus, it's... All of us, we are the body of Jesus. Jesus is the head. So you enter in the body of Jesus. You, you make your communion with the body of Jesus. So when you enter, when you receive communion, you enter in the body of Jesus. 
So you're meant to be in communion with everybody. Now it makes sense, it makes more sense. The words of Jesus that says, when you come to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, stop there and go back and try to make peace to your brother. Maybe he will not listen to you, but still you made the effort to be in communion with everybody and you can enter the body of Jesus. Then Luke uh, does something very different from the other uh, Gospels because, you know, right after communion that Jesus gave, you know, to the apostles, right after that, Luke transported there the discussion uh, on uh, who was the greatest. You remember the, the apostles discussing about, you know, who is the greatest among us. Luke put, puts that right after communion. Because after communion, Jesus is saying, someone will betray me. And so they will start thinking, is it me? And then they will say, who is the greatest here? So well, what would you think if that would be our discussion after communion? you would say, we didn't receive communion very well, if there is still that kind of pride. Yes, probably we need to say that the first communion of history was not properly made. Then the angel, because they go out, so we read about the apostles and Jesus going out, they went to the, to the garden, uh, on the Mount of Olives, and there Jesus started praying, and an angel, Luke says, he, he is the only one putting the angel there at that point. An angel appeared to strengthen him, to support Jesus. But what is strange is that first we have the angel, and then after the angel, we have Jesus sweat, sweating blood. So, how come? The angel is coming to encouraging him, and then he feels discouraged, even up to sweating blood. So, that blood that you see out of the, of the uh, forehead of Jesus is not out of discouragement. So he was consoled by the angel, who can console better than an angel. And so that is the very moment when Jesus decides. That is the moment when Jesus, uh, even in this mortal anguish, but that is the moment of the test, when finally he says, okay, I'm going to do it. So, you know, this blood, you know, blood is always, uh, is always a symbol, you know, for us in the Bible, blood. Blood is a symbol of life. We're going to drink blood now. You know, this blood is a symbol of life. The blood of Jesus, who is crucified and covered with blood, that blood is a symbol of life. And also there, in the garden, Jesus is giving blood. Why? Because that decision 
is what is going to give us life. The true life, not, not this life. Blood is the symbol of eternal life. The life of God that we are going to join, not my life that becomes eternal, because you know, eternal doesn't start. My life started. So I don't have eternal life. But we are going to have eternal life. The life of God. That is eternal life. So that blood means you are going to have eternal life. The very life of God. And then, you know, there are people coming. People from the temple. And leading them there is Judas. And here you see the sweetness of Jesus. In the most terrible time of his life, the sweetness of Jesus, with a kiss, do you betray the Son of Man? It is not reproaching. It's saying a moving thing, trying to move his heart. But the heart of Judas at that time is like a stone that you cannot move. It's a stone heavier that the stone of the tomb of Jesus after death cannot be moved. And yet, Jesus is trying. He tried all his life long. So the reaction of the apostles, because they realize what's going on. So they attack. They attack with the sword. And really, you know, they were not kidding. They took off, you know, Peter took off the ear of the servant. And Jesus stops this. Not only stops, but he heals. So he works a miracle to the, to the enemies, to those who came to take him. So he's still blessing, even in the moment, in the worst moment. And then Luke is the one who reports Peter uh, following from afar, uh, Jesus. And uh, you know, we, we read about the betrayal three times you know, of Peter. So that is the lowest point of Peter. But Jesus said, I prayed for you. You know, sometimes we say that. Maybe you said many times to your friend, to your son, to your wife. I prayed for you. Imagine if Jesus told you, I prayed for you. Because when I pray for you, I, I don't know if, if I'm going to get it, what, what I'm asking. Imagine if Jesus himself prayed for you. Jesus prayed for Peter. But still, you know, he failed. So it's as if you know, that, uh, that mistake, it's as if it was kind of a necessary thing. Because after that sin that he did three times, so, so he really did that. You know, it, was, it was not only you know, once by chance. No, it was three times. Here, you know, Luke says, that Jesus comes out in that very moment. He comes out from the Sanhedrin, you know, where he was 
already judged and condemned. He comes out, and you know, at a distance, Jesus is able to look in the eyes of Peter. But not only look, because look in Greek is said is the word blepo. Blepein is the word to see, to say, to say, to see, to look somebody, you know, to look at somebody is blepo. But the verb that Luke is using is not blepo, is emblepo. Is looking inside. So Jesus is looking at the heart of Peter. Is what Jesus is doing at every confession. It's not really looking at you. It's looking at your heart. So even though you are, even though you are confessing a terrible sin, but it's still looking at your at your heart. So it's a it's a gaze of compassion, and I think that this is the reason why Peter's cries, why he goes out and starts crying because of that look, because I did something so wrong and still you look at me with love. Then Herod. Herod is, uh, we know very well, is the son of Herod the Great, you know. So Pilate sends Jesus to Herod the king. Pilate was the governor, you know, the, of the Romans, and Herod was the local king. Not really local, no, because Herod was the king of Galilee and Perea. It was, it was the Tetrarch, because the kingdom of Herod the Great was divided in four parts, and one of those was given to Herod. This Herod is Herod, uh, uh, the one that we know, that... Uh, is the one uh, that killed John the Baptist. And we also know his father, Herod the Great, because he's the one who slaughtered the innocents. A very nice family, I guess. So Herod, this Herod, you know, is, uh, is glad to receive Jesus. So happy. Because, you know, every king at that time, they had some magician, you know, to run... Uh, let us say, wonder, wondrous things. So he thought that Jesus was the case. He was someone who could do that for him. But Jesus didn't say not even a word. So Herod, uh, he considered Jesus as nothing. In fact, you see, this world out there, you know, they consider Jesus as nothing. Jesus is nothing for them. It's still like that. And what Jesus says, is he upset? No, he just stay. he just keeps, keeps silence. So you see, God doesn't work miracles. Jesus either. Faith does them. Faith works miracles. Without faith, Jesus is only silent. But if, you, but if you have faith, if you use your faith, then miracles happen. And then finally, we have the good deed. We are on top of the cross. And uh, only Luke talks about the good deed. The others, uh, they talks about two criminals who were at the sides of Jesus, and they were both cursing. 
uh, Jesus. But here we have uh, we have something different. Well, look, look, Luke is uh, putting it next to Jesus. You know, in the key key moments of his life. You know, this kind of people. At the birth of Jesus, there are the poor shepherds. Then, at the baptism of Jesus, sinners all over around him. And then, at the end of the life of Jesus, we have two thieves. Those who got in their life everything wrong. The good thief represents all of us. Jesus introduces him to paradise on the same day. He doesn't even give him purgatory. Today, you will be with me in paradise, in heaven. I don't think that we should really be scared of purgatory. Sometimes we think about purgatory as if it's a little hell or something like it. No, it's totally different. Purgatory is still heaven. But it's only you, it's only me, that after you see God, who really is God, it's not that they send you to purgatory. It's you who want to go there. Because you want to get ready. You don't want to go in front of God, like, like I am. I don't want to go there this way. I want to get ready. I want to be totally pure. So that's why you might decide to go to the purgatory for enough time in order to be ready of that kind of light. Then the killers, the killers of Jesus. And with this, we finish our meditation today. Uh, you know, Jesus is forgiving on the cross. He's not only forgiving the soldiers. Jesus at that point is forgiving everybody, even Anna and Caiaphas. He's forgiving everybody. Jesus is not cursing. Jesus is not upset. He's still sweet and he's still loving. So this is, this is our Lord. This is what we have to do. And if you do this, then yes, you entered in the mystery of Jesus. You entered in the body of Jesus. You entered in the Paschal mystery of Jesus that saved us and gave us the eternal life of God.